Okay, um, welcome to Pomplecast presents Babcom 5 or Babylon 5 or yes, we're still figuring it out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My name is Jane and with me is... Is that my cue? Yeah, that's your cue. cue (laughs) We haven't haven't figured out all the tricks yet. Um, I'm I'm Mike, uh, I guess... um, uh, should we introduce ourselves to? No, no, it's fine. To each that's other? Fine. That's good enough. No, it's good enough. Okay. All right. Well, we've already done the gathering, the pilot episode. So now we're on season one, episode. Well, you have it marked as episode two, I guess. Midnight on the firing line. Yeah, or so- as I would put it, how to get away with attacking a colony. <laughs> that's my so, summary of it <laughs> what's your summary of that yeah okay so um so my uh, uh my synopsis of the show is an oddly meaningful centauri agricultural agricultural colony is attacked by the oddly obviously evil narn with an oddly relevant side quest regarding earth forces and raiders and oddly there is also an election <laughs> That, that's my uh that's sort of my uh synopsis for the show um so I before we get there's get a started. lot of setting up yeah there's a lot of setting up um in this first episode but um yeah so for me um the first question i wanted to ask you or there there are a couple sort of uh preamble questions the first is uh the the relationship between this episode and the pilot so uh, like you said like we watched the pilot uh, a while ago now, and and we're watching this one, and there are a lot of notable changes up front, and mm-hmm. I was curious, like, uh, you know, again for for the, for fear of spoilers, uh, is it addressed? Like, is is there a connection? Is is there like an absolute connection between the pilot and the first episode? I'm not sure what kind of connection you're talking about, honestly. So, like, do all those I characters know... still exist? Like, do like does from the ga- from the first yeah one? does Lieutenant Commander Takashima still exist somewhere? Oh, I see, I see, I see. Like, does um, Lita Alexander still exist somewhere? Okay. Um, yeah, that's one thing I, I noticed in this episode. They don't really explain what happened to the people that they brought up in the gathering. And how now, much time has passed? Is it was the other question I had was because. You know, Sinclair has a new haircut, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, um, and yeah, like, and there's somewhat of a reference in terms of, you know, the new security officer and like the new, uh, the new Psycor uh, lady. Sort of, security officer is still Garibaldi. You mean the lieutenant commander? Lieutenant commander, right. Sec- right. Second in command, I- Iv- right. Ivanova, I guess. Right, um, yes. So there was that sort of quasi-reference of of uh the new lady talia winters coming in and saying like hey i just got here a few weeks ago kind of thing so she's new i could see fine but uh my thing was like what's the timeline here like is this occurring three weeks after the pilot is this happening a year after the pilot is this happening like is this is does the pilot not exist and this is just like the actual first episode and the pilot was just you know, for other people just, just to sell the show. Like, was that not meant for audiences to watch kind of thing? So that was, that was my sort of first question kind of coming in. So like, 
do you well, I guess you, obviously you know the answer but like is is there is that addressed in the in the rest of the show at some point okay so <laughs> this is a lot um I don't know all the context um in terms of the story character changes or anything like that okay. my guess is just either it's a per, you know studio decision or actor decision to either continue or not it's the same thing with like, even game of thrones the pilot was um filmed and shown with a different actress actually for daenerys and then when the show went live for the public they completely changed out the actress okay um, at the last minute. So all I know is that the pilot was first aired um, February 22nd, 1993. Mm. And then the first episode of season one aired January 26, 1994. So that's almost like a year difference. Mm. So I think there could have been just a review of what worked, what didn't work in the pilot episode and what actors and actresses wanted to come back to sign up a year later. Oftentimes, some actresses and actors, you know, they have scheduling conflict. They don't know if this is going to be an ongoing series, so they pick up other work. Sure. So it could have always been that. I don't have that information, and then nothing on the wiki pages say anything as to why. Um, but um, I do, I believe that the doctor in the pilot episode is explained um okay. i don't recall if dr uh, i mean if takashima was explained away and lita um so some of these characters the characters that you see now are going to be season seasons regulars right yeah until you know if they change later you know there's nothing really spoiling but it, i guess i do spoil that lita does come back okay um, but I think that was more of just an acting decision be simply because I think, you know, there might have been conflicts later in this series. So, but they do address, I believe, the Doctor, but I don't think they, I don't recall them addressing some of the other characters. We may find out. Yeah, I mean, we might see. So I just, the main thing was just kind of like, yes, no, like you didn't have to go into detail, but just like, like do mm -hmm. people, does, so, so basically we can run under the assumption that the pilot did happen in this timeline. Like, that's not just like, yes. okay, okay, cool. Because that was the other thing, too, because the pilot also brings up a lot of those other cool uh, concepts, or I guess I don't know if they're cool or not, but those other concepts of, like, whether uh, the 24 hours that that uh, um, that's unaccounted for, you know, that for Sinclair, like, he, he was, there was that, and I'm assuming that, I'm not sure. I don't know if that's going to be a big issue later on, but just like I feel like that was something they made a point of mentioning a, a few times in that episode and like the whole concept of the line and what all that stuff. Like I wasn't sure because there's zero reference of that in this episode. Like it's and and yeah. so I'm not sure. That was what I was kind of referring to also is that idea of like did the pilot actually exist or is it just like a uh, – is this the – first episode in the in the pilot uh you know are were they meant to be run together because i i think about firefly and how um you know they had their pilot episode they set up all the characters and they set up the world set up the story you know and the tone and then i think fox didn't air it and so they had to create a new episode that had more action in it <laughs> that did all the same things introduced all the characters you know set up the world right, set up right, everything right. but also had to uh but also had to have some action in it and they showed the first episode first and then like later on like maybe like 6 weeks in or whatever they showed the pilot episode which yeah yeah did the whole out of order yeah. 
airing of episodes and, versus what how they record it. Yeah. Right. And so that's my thing was just like trying to figure out like, okay, well, you know, what what is it in this case? Like, is this sequential or is it just, you know, was this the pilot just a special and you don't have to remember anything or is it part of the actual continuity? So that was my... It is part of the continuity. Okay. The things that are mentioned in The Gathering will, will is relevant in, in terms of the entire series. So it wasn't just hey, we'll just create this station and see if people kind of like it and just develop a story plot just for the pilot and it's a standalone. Um, it's a standalone in the sense that it was just a, like a one and a half hour kind of show or, like, you know, a movie. But in terms of set, help setting up the world of Babylon 5, it does set up some of the foundations for the storyline and for the plot points for sure. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you, like as a casual viewer, you just enjoy it and you know that certain things happen that will play some relevance later on cool 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 so but i do like the way they did it in the first episode where you didn't necessarily have to have watched the first pilot to kind of get into this series um but if you watched it there is some tiebacks where you know there are introductions of where garibaldi first meets ivanova and ivanova's asking like, oh, where's the captain? And he's like, oh, you're new here, right? right? And so it sets up that, which I, I enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed how some of the newer characters are pointed out sure. that they are right. new to this. Situation. And that's, like I, was, like I was mentioning before, it's like the, that same idea that, you know, um, Ivanova, yeah, I forgot that whole thing that Ivanova was relatively new and like she didn't know Sinclair's routine and Garibaldi had to tell her. Um, I, I guess that was only for the sake of uh, establishing that she's new because I wasn't sure if that was also a thing. It's like yeah. um, I can't remember offhand. I guess the, the location, but but you know, like the captain being at the you know wherever he likes to hide away when <laughs> when uh like 10 minutes a day or whatever when he turns his calm off or whatever like like i wasn't sure if that was going to be relevant in the episode but it turned out it really wasn't no but um no. maybe maybe later it will <laughs> yeah, but so- like uh but i i just thought that was interesting oh, okay so she's new and then like the, the psychor lady is new and i was like okay okay so i guess it, this could be the same timeline um it is, but the thing is, like in any first episode or first season of an episode, you can't really be making all the references to, oh, what happened to Lita, what happened to this, because then if as as a new watcher, right. and let's say they come in in this episode, I'm like, well, who is oh, yeah. that? Who are Not they exactly. talking about? And because keep in mind, the the pilot was aired a year ago, yeah. so you know there's there's no way for people to go back and watch it, unlike nowadays, right? But back then, you if you, you kind of missed it, you missed it until it came out on DVD, I guess. So I like the way they started off this new season, first season at first episode for this. Well, yeah, and speaking of, I guess, I, 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 um, the uh, speaking of like that whole, <laughs> speaking of that situation of like uh, Talia Winters and and uh, Lieutenant Commander Ivanova meeting for the first time, I thought it was funny. So, okay, Talia Winters, as the Psychor, like, her job, she needs to Liaison. report mm-hmm. to the lieutenant commander or to command or whatever at some point. That's that's sort of, right. like, the premise of right. that whole meeting. Um, like, so what I think is funny is she mentions, like, okay, it's been a few weeks, and 
she's tried three times to talk to Lieutenant Commander Ivanova. Like, I feel like that is, like, if I if I had a job and my and I needed to report to my boss or or to whoever, like, I'm pretty sure like, three, I feel like three times in a few weeks is very very scant. Like, I feel, you know, it's like he, she probably should have visited like every day for for like that time, you know. But like. Three times in a few weeks, like how nice for her to just be like, "Oh, I'll sit in my quarters for a couple of weeks." A couple of weeks. Oh, let me check it again. Well, I think she she has stuff to do. It's just I think you know, in a in terms of policy or um, of reporting in, she like the, the commander and the lieutenant know who who she is and what she works for. I think this was just more of a personal connection, like a meet and greet. As a courtesy. Yeah, as a courtesy. Like, hey, it's hey, it's nice to meet you. Kind of just physically meeting someone versus, yeah, okay, we do have this person's, you know, stationed in Babylon 5 and she's the psychor liaison or whatever. You know, you will have records of that for sure. And you have but to review it. But I feel like it, it, it's see, like... But I think this um, is more of a personal connection. I can't... Hey, I, we can, well, you know, that, that scene will come up and, and, and we can kind of reference it specifically, but like, I feel like she says it was some sort of, it's like some sort of official thing. Like she needs to check in or she needs to do something, you know, with the Lieutenant Commander. And yeah. that to me is just like, if you have like a task that you have to do, like if it's not a courtesy, like I feel like then it just, feel, again, that was the one thing I thought was the concept of time I thought was really funny is just like, you know, like I've been on the station for several weeks and I haven't really officially started my job because you won't, you can't watch me or you can't like whatever, you can't check me in or whatever the, whatever the oh, thing is. Oh, I know. I think she could do her job. It's just that it was just one of those things that you just like a check, check mark kind of thing to do. Like just make sure you were able to t communicate or talk in person to someone in command. But it just, to me, it just showed that Ivanova was yeah, kind of avoiding yeah. her. Which again, which which is fine, but like when you kind of look and when you scrutinize, I just thought it was so funny that like she had been on board for three weeks and like she was supposed to check in, but like for me especially, just like with my own work, <laughs> I just think about like my colleagues and and <laughs> that, like that would not fly at all. It's like it's like. Well, no, 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 no. Like you get hired, right? You start your work at this particular day and you can still be doing your job, but you haven't had a one-on-one -on -one with, right, right. you know, your boss yet. Which, and that's basically what it is. And it's really sure. to the discretion of the boss's sure, schedule sure. and the boss's time. So if he's really busy and he doesn't have time to meet with you and it's not that much of a priority because you are still working or doing your job, then that's why, that's how it felt to me in that, Right. analogy that you put with at a working office thing it's just like the uh, it depends on whether or not the boss has right. time or wants to make time to meet you <laughs> i mean that makes sense i think like That's yeah that like makes sense um something else though something else that i wanted to mention is uh i guess like this is the this this first episode has like the that opening uh that opening narration or that sort of the, the the credit scene, I guess, that has the the background of the story, um, I guess, uh, where Sinclair just sort of narrates the the story of Babylon Five. What I thought was interesting is, uh, 
it kind of gives away. It's like this is the story of the last of the Babylon yeah. stations. So I'm just like, oh, I guess I guess there isn't like a Babylon yeah. Six, or I guess something is going to happen yeah. to the station. Yeah, spoilers, like spoilers in the intro. Yeah, spoiler alert. It's like so. But I then think, again, they can make I think all that's something else. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> like maybe, maybe it's good. Maybe it's the last of the Babylon stations because they don't need. Yeah, there a, you go. You know that UN station or peacekeeping thing. You know, but but I just think it's like okay, that thing that they're gonna blow up that station <laughs> 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 or something. You know, and it, and they're you know never gonna happen again. But, um, Wait, but no, I just thought that was put that prediction in now so that what happens later on. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, I'm gonna tell you exactly how this episode, yeah. how this show is gonna end. Yeah. I do have a theory about that actually, but um. <laughs> But I'll get into that like later. But um, the other thing that I thought was cool about this episode, and I was kind of curious, like what your thoughts were, sort of in terms of larger sci-fi, is I liked like when you when you when you find the alien races, like they they show um, the agricultural planet, uh, Ragish Three, I think, and then yes. um, you you see the Centauri people, and some of them have like brown hair and their hair is shorter, but they all have like the same sort of, you know, that weird fan looking hair. Peacock. Yeah. The peacock, peacock I guess, style hair. Um, But, uh, but it's different colors. And what I thought was funny is like, you know, you watch in the pilot episode and again, like Londo has the Dracula accent. (laughs) He sounds like Dracula, but no one else (laughs) sounds like Dracula. And I thought that was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. So maybe that's an aristocratic thing. Like I like that there was like sort of, ethnic or regional differences uh, within like, you know, one alien race. Yeah. Because like, I feel like that's something in a lot of sci-fi shows weirdly that they don't really address, you know, like almost just uh, the, the whole idea of like the uniformity oftentimes, like with, with alien races, I always found was weird because like there's so much diversity on earth, you know, in among humans um, mm. and, you know, whether it be different, different languages, and different accents, just within, within one world. Right. And then, and then you go to whatever these other alien races and they never really address like, okay, you know, some of these aliens look different from other aliens, or maybe they speak differently from other aliens and, or maybe they have different customs or maybe, you know, whatever. It's just like, uh, just that all these alien races become like these, uh, I mean, I understand like sort of narratively why they do it you know as 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 sort of stand-ins for you know for actual like earth you know groups but um in the in the context of like sci-fi and actual alien worlds like you would think that there would be just as much diversity i think some um, of the stuff though in the show is a bit subtle like you see the narns and and, you know the spotting is slightly different or there's certain you know um Bone structures might sure. be different, but I think the biggest thing that you can see the difference is, is when Veer is introduced, which, who's the um, Londo's uh, attaché, I guess, and he has a shorter haircut, right. and I think some of his speaking right. ability it has to do with the prosthetic teeth that I think they put into these actors. So sometimes I wonder if yeah, Lond- yeah. like a Peter Jurassic's, um speech pattern is dictated by the teeth that he has to use um but, no, but he's, was... he's full-on doing dracula though he's full-on doing dracula you know With the... uh, he's rolling his r's and he's like you know like 
you know, he's, 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 it's, it's very sort of it is a very accent because like, I've heard him speak naturally. He, you know, he doesn't have like a heavy accent like that at all. Well, again, oh, that's true too. Like, I don't know what his natural, like what, what his natural speaking voice is. Cause I only have heard him in the yeah, show yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but regardless, like, I like that there's different representation. Like, I don't know. We have, I guess we've seen two Mimbari, I guess. And, and Dillette has also kind of like a, an accent. Uh, herself and i'm curious like the other i, I think the uh, the one other guy the assassin from uh from the pilot episode um he did not have that sort of same uh norwegian <laughs> sort yeah, of no. accent. so interestingly interestingly with when you're talking about dylan mira furland um comes from croatia okay so her speaking voice is actually her normal accent okay so yeah you do you start picking up some of the differences um having met like the actors mm. or actresses, you know, in their natural speaking uh, voices. So yeah, for Londo, that is obviously an accent um, from my, from what I knew, but you know, when I'm watching the show, I have no idea. And, and interestingly, I didn't really pick <laughs> up on that about diversity within even alien cultures. I know in the Mimbari, and this isn't big spoilers because it was mentioned in the um, pilot, they have different casts. Oh. Right, they have a warrior cast, yeah. a religion class cast, so they all have different, um, more costumes than anything, and maybe certain markings, perhaps that's added on as joining a certain cast. But one thing I noticed with the Centauri is that you know the length of his Londo's hair versus Veer's yeah. hair versus yeah. right, right, I think right. it's just natural hair color, but I think the hair. height has to do with maybe. Their status. Um, their status or a certain their talk. Which I really model. liked. I liked yeah. I liked that idea. The little subtle nuances, yeah. Right. And whether even like the stuff like the number of lines, like the number of gray lines in his peacock hair, like does that have significance? Who knows? Like maybe that's just I think that's just old. more of an age thing. But yeah, yeah but, I think but, that's more of an age. But I, I, I could Yeah, do. like I like those those subtle hints makes uh, that make me feel like there's there's sort of a history there, which I, I, I like. Yeah, they're not just homo- homogenous group of people sure. with a single and, thing. Yeah, and that there, there there's, there's, it's been thought people. out. And th- that's the other thing, like, uh, in terms of just, <laughs> you know, um, that the idea of, like, the universal translator and the different languages and that kind of thing. Like, uh, I, I was curious, you know, the reason I brought it up, the reason I want to bring it up is that, that idea that, you know, what languages are all these people speaking? Like, are those specific accents are they all speaking the common language or basic or earth or whatever you want to call it? Did they have to learn it, you know, to get on, you know, to, to be on the station? They communicate in that language. I think so, because um, this is a Babylon five. And, and I think this is a earth, earth Alliance sponsored station. It makes sense that if this has yeah. been decided on as the um, go-to place for all these type of like the UN, that they would kind of speak, um, the common language. But then, like, you know, I mean, this is very nitpicky, but then, like, you know, later on, when you get the communication from the nephew, who, the hostage, yeah. or I guess not kind of hostage video, more or less, but, like, he's, again, he's also speaking in English, again, for purpose of the show, yes. You know, you don't want to have, like, crazy translations for people who are watching, you know, again, we are all clearly human. These these alien races do not exist. So it's just, like, it's like I can understand that. But, like, um, I was curious, like, what the story is if if it's addressed, because no, that's a, that was always like a big so. question mark in my mind. In Star Trek, the Universal Translator, how did it work? You know, 
Um, like, are people it, actually hearing? Is it like one of the big questions I've always had was, uh, does the Universal Translator actually uh, like uh, simulate the person's voice, creating like the perfect language sounds? You know, like. Or is it a matter of like, you know, for, for dramatic effect, like, you know, I thought it would be funny, like if the first generation of Universal Translator was like Siri or like, you know, like a Navi, Navi where it's like, you say your words, but actually some other dude's voice or some computer voice comes out. That's translated that, to, so someone to, thinks that you sound like Siri kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it's like, you sound like Liam Neeson or something like that, or like Terry Crews, like, like a navigation yeah. thing. Like, so for like all the Klingons think that. I talk like Patrick Stewart. Like everyone talks like <laughs> Patrick Stewart on Earth. Like even the Wouldn't even that the be women. Awesome? Well, yeah, the women, men, children all like, like every Patrick like Stewart. if if it's translated, I just think that'd be hilarious. And like same thing, like if Klingons or you know, there's like some sort of equivalent where everyone speaking back to you also sound like Patrick Stewart. You know, it's just like they're just like you know. Yeah, I um I don't believe it's addressed in Babylon Five. I don't recall. However, it makes more sense to me that the alien races had to learn the Earth language and speak that, um, and it happens to be English, and they all speak that on Babylon 5. Because there are moments where they do, you know, speak in their native language, right. and that's and, not translated, I, and, yeah. right? So I feel like it's a choice when they speak in the common language in, on the station or yeah. when they speak their own language. That's one thing like the universal translation in Star Trek I never quite understood. Like right, when right, they right. translate all the time. But why, why is it then Worf can say things in Klingon right. and then suddenly that's not translated? I don't I mean it could just never yeah, quite understand. Like they that. might have like I don't, who knows? I don't know how it works if they have like a button that they can push and they're, they can shut it off if they want to cuss people out in their <laughs> native language or whatever. And they're just like I can still <laughs> understand that because my universal translator is still working or whatever. It's just like who knows? And uh, oh, it also yeah, takes yeah. some of the bite away of people knowing other languages where it's like, oh, I, I'm familiar with Romulan curses or whatever. It's just like, well, you have a universal translator. That's not that's not a big feat to understand what I'm saying, you know. But at any rate, like uh, I thought just those those things, those ideas, the races, uh, the diversity, the languages, I thought that was all kind of I, I like I, the bigger theme of um, it, it. It seems like I mentioned in the previous episode, like what I like is that this world seems lived in, you know, like a lot of this stuff has already kind of been thought out, which I thought is really cool. Um, but something that I thought was questionable, I guess, is, uh, is speaking of races or, or what the, what the, um, the, the, the attributes of the specific races is, is Sinclair at one point says like, the Minbari are honorable, are like an honorable race, and they would never do like a sneak attack, which I thought was interesting because in the pilot episode, I feel like the Minbari was the one responsible. He's the guy who's doing the sneaking around as in the shapeshifter outfit, and he's like, "Well, no, 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 no." I think I think you established the general society norms. And the fact that this guy did it, and he was from a war cast um, in the in the pilot, shows how unexpected that was. Something that was completely not appropriate. Because I think in the pilot it is addressed that you know um, 
he was like an they're outlier. Just established he was an, as he was like an outlier. oldest and most advanced race, but yes, but they, but that doesn't mean that they aren't. You well, know, they're not actually the oldest. Warlike like the or sneaky are. or whatever. You know, it's just like yes, like the Narn clearly are very you know duplicitous yeah. and just through the avatar of Jakar, right? But like you don't. But the thing is, like in the pilot and even in this first episode, you don't know. You don't really know. Um, you know what 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 the characteristics of the Mimbari are. Um, well, that's why that's why I think he was setting it up right by him ex, ex, exposition sure. text here explaining what the Mimbari culture should normally be because he's had experience fighting them in sure. war, and that during the war between the Earth Alliance and Mimbari, that you know they have always fought this way, and I think in the terms of the pilot episode how much of an outlier that act was and how shocking it was that it was a Mimbari who yeah. was behind it. And I also like, That's I also like I kind of going back to the beginning mm-hmm. of the episode where it's like, um, I don't know if this was purposeful or not, but it just kind of plays on that ignorance that people have of this sort of new world is that when the ships sort of warp into the, uh, the Centauri space to Ragish three, like, we don't know as far like the audience most likely doesn't know that those are Narn ships, you know, it's no, like, I honestly, I forgot, completely forgot when I watched it. No idea. It's only yeah. in this episode. I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess it was. I'm like, and yeah. And, well, and they play that. They play on that in the episode, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Cause I was just like, that's a neat sort of device where, you know, the ships come in and you're just like, who ships are those? should we know who those people are? And, and then like, you know, whatever. And, uh, and then there's a panic. And then later on, even, you know, the, uh, the, the, one of the, the ambassadors are talking to one another. It's like, who's, whose ships are they? We don't know. Oh, they were identified as the Narn. And like, Oh, we just found out that, you know, the Narn are also like, Oh, Jakar is like, Oh yeah, we just found out that our ships were there. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, it, they play on that idea that like, even though those ships exist, like at this stage, the audience wouldn't know, right, right, you know, right, right. who was doing the sneak attack, which I thought was kind of cool. I like that. Um, another small touch, speaking of ships, that I kind of liked, um, and I don't know if it's a larger thing, um, is when you see the Earth ships. I don't know what those are called, I guess, but like when you see those like Earth ships uh, flying around, the I little like fighter, the little the fighters, fighters. I guess I like that there is a paint job, yep. and that those paint jobs correspond to like the paint on the uh the pilot's helmets yeah i like that the ships have their own you know like i like that even though the designs are really ugly (laughs) i i don't mind them at all i like them but it 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 it, once again it goes back to like you know world war ii where you can you know personalize the uh yeah i love that concept but i just thought it was funny like garibaldi has like a tiger print (laughs) on the top of the ship hey and like his helmet is just like this giant like i i thought like you know, it, it felt very uh, – uh, the, the designs themselves felt dated, but the concept I thought was cool. It's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, Sinclair has his, you know, his his markings and Garibaldi has his markings and you can yeah. see it on their yeah. ships. I, I like yeah. that a lot. I liked yeah. – um, but I'm a, I'm a sucker for, you know, for, for like space combat and, you know, like the, the – you know, that kind of – dog fighting that that whole yeah and that's what i think i i forgot when we were just rewatching i'm like oh yeah the star fighters i like the concept of the little star fighters because you yeah. know you needed as you want some uh 
space face-to-face fighting you know and yeah and i appreciate that they used sort of as far as i could tell they're using like actual like space physics where it's like they have thrusters all around and you know there's Mm -hmm. they could just kind of spin around and and Mm -hmm. like on a on a on a on a dime and just like turn around and fire and like i was like oh cool so they did because they're so small yeah yeah, but they did this before because I remember they made that a big deal in Battle for Battlestar Galactica, where they're just like, we actually use like real space physics for our space battles, and I'm just like, wait, and it was like, oh well, yeah, that was a big deal at the time, but then when I watched this, I was like, oh, they're doing that here. It's like they did this way yeah. before the new Battlestar Galactica, so I was like, oh, okay, so it's not that big a deal. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this, they've been happening. And that's why it's like the idea of thrusters and being in position and physics. That's why, remember we were talking about in the pilot episode about, oh, you know, a big explosion. And then suddenly it was a big deal about trying to get back into position. And you're like, what's the point? And I'm like, no, it's to show thrusters and being, you know, they have to be in this certain location, maybe. I don't know. But it was playing on to the fact that I think to make it more realistic or um, that this could exist in the future because we are still using um, physics, unlike, let's say, the warp drives and all that stuff, which I'm sure has a basis, but it's so far so sci-fi conceptually and abstract. But that this you can understand about, you know, little... But that's the other thing, too, is that, like, I mean, I, I don't know if you felt this way when you were watching it, but, like, this show, like, I guess, like, I, when I think of shows that are this old, like, from the 90s, from the 80s, like, I think about, like, even when I watch, uh, you know, Star Trek Next Generation episodes, the pace feels somewhat, like, a lot slower than TV is today. Of course. But when I'm watching this show, I feel like it's moving fast. It's pretty, it's kind of, it's it like, you know, like it's very peppy. I don't know if all the episodes are like this and, mm-hmm. or if this was just because it was the first episode, but I'm just like, <laughs> but I'm just like this, I like this pace. Like it's actually moving quickly. You're getting a lot of information. Um, are you saying that it's not that way later? <laughs> no, it's just, I, I don't, I don't remember all the episodes being, um, peppy <laughs> as well paced okay does that make sense because like because the pilot you know again the pilot upon sort of scrutiny super dense like so much stuff happened in that first episode like maybe too much and then this episode a lot of stuff happens but just like but i like that it's moving there's like there's just all the, the cuts and scenes and things just kind of help to to move the story along and i'm just like oh that's this is cool like it feels you know, again, like when you compare this to Deep, Sp- like first couple episodes of Deep Space Nine, it's like it's not even a contest. It's like Deep Space Nine, like it took like five episodes to kind of like tell one story <laughs> or like to get anywhere. Yeah. And then like this, it's like you're you're right in it and it's moving at a good pace. I'm just like, oh, this is cool, man. Like it just further further, you know, you know, drives home that regret. Like why did <laughs> Like, why did I wait so long to watch this show? Like, this is, this is you know, I, 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 was, I enjoyed that. Well, I think, keep in mind, like I said, one of the cool things about Babylon 5, it is primarily, most of the episodes are written by the creator, J. Michael Straczynski, which I shall mm. now call him JMS from now on because it's just yeah. kind of hard to say his name. All the- but his experience was used to be in, you know, writing television before. And I'm wondering with Star Trek and some of the other episodes, yeah, they've, they, you know, written for Star Wars and stuff, but... 
you know, you always have like scripts here and there, depending on the writer, if it's good or bad or the concept. But because of the fact that the creator and the guy who has this whole concept concept of this main storyline is writing most of the episodes, he is trying to tell a story. And I think each of those pacing of each of the episodes he writes is well done because he knows where it's going. He knows what's the important parts. He knows, you know, and all those points are highlighted in the episode. So I think it's like some filler episodes may not be as well paced. I'll say that because keep in mind back then they all had like what 22 episodes at least and you have to fill in that space. So some of them may not be as well paced but I like them so far. I don't remember I guess I have to watch it and be like, "Oh yeah, this is a slower mm-hmm. one." <laughs> or you know, but I just remember as a whole because um I think it was it was well paced for sure as an entire series. And that is the cool thing is that little hints and um, foreshadowing is done throughout the series, you know? And I think that's a good pace. I get frustrated near the end when it, when it's at the climax of the story, I'm like, hurry up. I want to get to it. I want some more. (laughs) But here's, here's another thing like that I was curious about, like on another note, I guess a couple things first, so we encounter we have the encounter with uh with Kosh, like and Sinclair goes in and talks to Kosh, um, you know, just about the situation. And uh there's a moment where Kosh says when he's speaking about the the Narn and the Centauri, he's he says, They are alone, yeah. we should let them pass, they are a dying people. They are alone. They are a dying people. We should let them pass. Who? The Narn or the Centauri? Yes. At the seventeen twenty-five mark is when they when he's saying that, and his vague is his answer is vague when Sinclair is like, right, Which one? exactly. And he's and, like, yes, and and so it's just like there's this cryptic <laughs> aspect of whatever. Um, I don't know. We, again, we don't know, or at least me myself, like not having seen any he of this knows. stuff. Like I don't really know what the story is with the with the Vorlons and you know. Are they ethereal? Do they exist in all times? Do they can't? Is there? There's a little bit of. Um, there's another. I guess like in this episode itself, there's this. Uh, there's also this this uh, reference to how the Centauri can kind of see their own deaths in the future or whatever potentially, and um, and so I don't know how time right, as a concept right. is is really played within this series, but I just thought that was a that was a curious. Again, it was just it it, it seemed like. Ex, like the exposition anvil just like dropped again. It's <laughs> just like, he was like, they are a dying people. This is something, you know, profound. I'm saying something profound now, you know, um, speaking of uh, JMS, I guess, just sort of writing this, it's like, okay, well, what, what are they trying to communicate here? I just thought it was, that that was interesting. Um, well, what did you think like, was being communicated in that scene? What'd you take? What was your take? I guess like, it? so it, it kind of plays into like my cool, part of my quasi theory of what's going to happen in the end, which is like, like I feel like um, 
you know, ultimately the Centauri and the Narn will destroy each other. <laughs> you know, like you know, and and maybe uh, the reference is kind of like there's really not, you know, if this if this uh, if the station is supposed to be like the UN and trying to bring peace, maybe it's almost like look you're not going to find peace with all five of the races, you know, like these two are they're they're they don't matter because they're just going to, they're going to wipe each other out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, it's like, that's, that's the feeling I got from that. It's just like, you know, the Vorlon was like, ah, oh, they don't matter. They don't matter because they're not going to exist. Like, you know, like, you know, when the season's over, <laughs> That's interesting <laughs> you know, because these, these races are not going to be, you know, and um, I'm not sure again, I don't know, but like, you've got like these, um, again, you've got these two references to, to like, the future, whether it be, uh, you know, Londo saying like 20 years from now, I'm going to be squeezing the life out of Jakar's, <laughs> you know, he out of his head. That. He never said it was Jakar. He just believes, he thinks that's, that is the guy. My people, we have a way, you see. We know how and sometimes even when we are going to die. Comes in a dream, huh? In my dream, I am an old man, it's 20 years from now, and I am dying. My hands wrapped around someone's throat and his around mine. We have squeezed the life out of each other. The first time I saw Jakar, I recognized him as the one from the dream. It will happen. 20 years from now, we will die with our hands around each other's throats. Well, right. He, he's like, I'm going to be choking, you know, I'm going to be choking some, someone out. Yeah, and, and when he saw Jakar, he knew that was probably... And happen. yeah, and like his yeah. feeling is like, that is that is Jakar, you know, I'm gonna, my hand's going to be around his throat and mm -hmm. I'm going to, you know, squeeze the life from him or whatever. And, um, and But that's the moment that he dies as well. So it's just kind of like this this idea, again, it sort of put that idea in my head that like... Um, there's there's that mutual shared destruction, you know, uh, between mm, these two angle. races, you know. What, yeah, it's already set up that way. Yeah. yeah, and then and then like almost like immediately afterward, you have like this reference from the Vorlon from Kosh, and he's saying, yeah, 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 just let them let let them kill themselves. They're they're dying already, <laughs> you know. Anyway, and what I thought was interesting, <laughs> and again, I don't know, like in the context of the show, um, this felt to me like a really passing statement because like i almost missed that i was like wait wait what what did he just say <laughs> like it's just like yeah just let them go they're they're mm -hmm. dying people and i'm just like whoa whoa like in the in the context of the show it's just seemed like a throwaway line but i was like whoa that's that seems like a deep harsh statement to make so that's why i was just like oh i don't know i, I don't know if that's speaking to like a larger um you know like reference to how things are going to happen in the show or whatever but and that's when i mentioned that's when i was also thinking like how much should i be scrutinizing the dialogue like how important are like some of these lines some of these things that are that people are saying like i'm curious like how deeply i need to be digging into the dialogue to, to be trying to to read into what's going to happen in the future or what 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 the overall you know story is going to be okay I'm not sure. Well, there's two points but... here. One, the takeaway, at least from what I got in some part of the Vorlon thing, was yeah, you're right. The reference that he's saying, saying they're they're both dying people, right? Yeah. But one thing I got out of it too was that, whoa, the Vorlons somehow know 
Like, I think mm. it added to the air of mystery of what the Vorlons are and how much they know or can they see the future. And that was a setup in the pilot that yeah. no one really knows anything about the Vorlons. And so when he makes these statements like that, it I think in some way it reveals the Vorlons themselves sure. or adds to the intrigue of the mystery of who they are as right. well. So they have they had an opinion and insight into you know the centauri and the narns but to me we already know that there was a conflict right? right that the centauri took over the narn home planet for like hundreds of years right, right? and in this episode it re reinstates the conflict between these two people right, right? and the history of that conflict and I think you ha in any drama you need conflict and see how it, how people handle such conflicts, right? So his statement of dying, whatever, I think it just helps reinforce that these people are gonna be. In but speaking of like, it's, in some ways it's kind of I'm like, well, if Kosh is like, eh, they're dying and who cares kind of thing but i'm like yeah why there's, are that you here? there's that too <laughs> why are you here if these are are you just watching this unfold it could be that that's what i also took away from his his comment like that that if he's if his opinion is that they are dying and they should be passed or they should you know pass like then what is your purpose here on a station about trying to withhold keep the peace and all that stuff um and it seemed to me i'm like oh i wonder if it brought up more questions about the Vorlon to me rather than the, oh, what's going to happen to the Centauri and the Narn people at the end? It was more like, well, what's the point of Kosh? Or what's the point of the Vorlons? What, what role are they playing in all this? Why are they on the station if, you know, they can see the futures of these races? Well, there's that other, that other idea of I just saw. like, um, you know... His mission there could still just be of peace, but it doesn't necessarily mean of all five races. Like, it's just like, look, you know, we want to broker a peace among, you know, the Mimbari, the Earthling, the Earth, and the Earth Alliance, and the Vorlons, you know, <laughs> like, and maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's something like that. Or, um, I'm not sure. Again, I don't, I can't speak to how things are going to end up, but I just thought, uh, it was, it was, it was interesting. That comment I thought was interesting. Um, because it brought up a lot of issues. Yeah, like you said, like whether it be the future of the 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 the, the Narn and the the Centauri, or just characteristics of the Vorlon themselves, like what they, you know, what 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 they're or a little bit more insight into. You know, but going back to the episode itself, um, one of the things I found interesting was how mm -hmm. easily explained all this was. In terms of when the attack happened and they all meet to vote or something like that, Jakar is like, oh, you know, they asked right. for this. And so we came by to help them because there was a, you know, to help appease some riot thing. I'm like, isn't, shouldn't there be evidence to corroborate any of these statements? And when, when Londo was like, he's obviously having to write, read this script here. Why is there no evidence to any of these claims, like, ahead of time? Like, the fact that they report to Centauri that there was an attack on their colony, and Centauri is like, eh, right. isn't that red flags there <laughs> as to why it did it dismissed so readily? The fact that here you have a peaceful farming agriculture colony and gets attacked, why is there absolutely no response from the government? 
that what surprised me. Like nothing at all. They're like, uh, we we just give it to the Narns. Well, to me, I feel like I mean it's not a I, it's not like a total explanation, but I feel like Londo does mention that there. So there are two things, I guess. The first thing is Londo mentions that you know it's like the the, the bureaucrats or the the people who are in charge now are just sort of soft mm. or they're they're not really whatever. Um, but the second thing is sort of like the larger picture I felt, and this is this is how I sort of rationalized it in my own main uh, in my own mind was this idea that um, I feel like the Centauri are kind of defeated, like they are they are they're like a has been empire, mm. and right, it could just right. be like a they've got they've they've got like um not stockholm syndrome but they've just gotten like the stink of losing on them and they're just you know what i'm saying where it's just like uh you know let's just you know we have to let it go like we suck like our ships suck our ships take too long to get anywhere we don't we shouldn't even try like he even says it himself like there's this there's an air of of a broken people you know where they're just like oh we we suck now like yeah, that's what Lana cool. was saying. There's constantly references suck. to when yeah. it when we were great, we were the lions exactly. but, of but, the civilization. But now yeah, it's... and you get that that sense, especially through his performance, that it just like, you know, ah, the there was a time where, where yeah, yeah, there where there was a time when we could have done something, and there's still a fire in him. But I could see that, like, you know, the rest of I don't know. We haven't seen other uh, other Centauri, but well, mm-hmm. to a certain extent, we see Veer and and. Karn, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. and uh, and you know some of those other farmer guys, but like you don't really get a good sense of their characters, like. But what I thought was interesting is just like, yeah, like Londo. I don't know if he's an aberration, and he's he's someone who still has fire in him, and he still wants, he's still passionate about about the Centauri as an empire, and maybe the rest of them have, you know, they maybe they're all defeated, maybe they're all just, you know, they they just don't care, and and they've just kind of let things you know fall by the wayside kind of thing um but i would assume that the council will have like more sterner words for the non people like we can't get get away with you know especially when I they're clearly say, evil like that's the thing <laughs> like that's the thing i thought was kind of hilarious is that like i feel like in the in the pilot episode and in this episode again yeah they set like, it up it's, that way it's, it, it just seems like cartoon like evil the nar i just think it's so funny yeah because how, yeah everything yeah. that they're doing is just so like yeah oh my god especially when you look at it you know in the context of like uh in the context of like how long time has has passed because like this was sort of like a major you know this was a major move and you know and uh at deceit and at you know you know whatever and and at sabotage and in the pilot episode it was also a big plot by the by the the nar like clearly they are operating you know against against peace the interests of peace and they're being clearly duplicitous and clearly like shady and conniving and it's just like i was hoping that there was going to be a little bit more subtle subtlety but like well, you know yeah, but in also both cases, it's Sinclair that reprimands Jakar. It's not the council. It's not that. So I'm like, well, how useful or effective is the council if it's always Sinclair that finds out what happens and reprimands Jakar? And let alone, he reprimands him in the first episode, in the pilot, 
and then he does something again in this episode. Right, right. They're attacking exactly. you. I'm like, so what's happening here? Because he does threaten that, you know, he's going to share this information with the council if they don't leave Ragesh 3. But a part of me is like, well, we haven't seen the effectiveness of the council yet. Right. So far, it's only been Sinclair finding it all out, right? And confronting Jakar. But then they just seem to still get a pass. At yeah, exactly. Doing most of They're these like, oh, oh, well. Yeah, what prevents them from attacking another colony and be like, oh, okay, oh, well. Well, yeah. But I mean, I think, to be fair, like, I think that the. The, the sort of real world uh, applications would be kind of boring. It's like, okay, we're going to put sanctions. <laughs> you know, let's put it up to a vote and let's talk to the leadership. Like, the I feel true, like it's true, basically like all the bad parts of you know the prequels, Star Wars movies, <laughs> it's like the stuff that yeah. no one's interested in watching. But you know, um, yeah. like Senate meetings and that kind of, that kind of thing. It's like I appreciate I think that they that's what. I think that's why they added the subplot of a plot B about the Raiders. Because you have to see some consequences and some live action. And it's a great use for the Starfighters or whatever. I I forgot what they're called. But for them to go out and pilot and show them that they're actually on hands people um, with like uh, pilot experience. But that whole thing. So, yeah, I like that. I like that Sinclair is still a pilot. I like that he can get in there and, and fight. I think that's cool. I like that Garibaldi is a fighter pilot as well as like a security officer on the ship. I think that's really cool. Yep, 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 yep. Um, but that whole Raider plot, I thought was just like, what was the point of that? Like, yeah, that while the show was happening, I had absolutely no idea. I'm like, okay, what was the point? And what's the point of the Raiders? And then at the end, it was felt so forced to connect it. Oh, by the way, we found this. All the files. All the files. He has the all the data yeah. crystals. It's like the data crystals from <laughs> the attack. At Ragish Three, happened to be on this ship, on this guy near the station near Babylon Five, <laughs> where they did the weird attack. That that guy had to be around because he was overseeing the weapons use that the the raiders were like. <laughs> and I'm just like, we're like, like why what? were they even <laughs> like like what was the point of that? Like that that like was it supposed to be a distraction from? from the activities of of the like i don't even know i don't even know why like to was me, it supposed to it was uh, to me what it came it was just a plot point to figure out how to connect the narns to this attack on ragesh Ray. let's have this other subplot that seems but that's what's totally so unrelated so and somehow because there's no way for them to directly go and find that maybe investigation with the um, Narn and the plan. I don't know. It just felt like, oh, here's this conveniently located plot point to solve your conspiracy theory. This landed on you, and that's what felt so weird watching that, or at the end, just being explained away at like like a like a such a to- casual toss of. By the way, you know this yeah. answers all the subplots or all the shady business because we found this guy on this <laughs> yeah, thing exactly. with all the data crystals pinpointing and saying exactly what the fact that you guys were doing and i'm like really and it felt forced it felt like they needed to resolve the storyline of exactly what happened on the attack yeah and they had to add at the end 
there to kind of complete that story. Yeah, like I think it's cool. Like I think it's cool that there was this B plot with with the raiders and like they were striking transport ships and they're stealing supplies and where are their weapons coming from and uh oh no oh no like this last ship is full of refugees no we gotta save you know like it's people we gotta save people and then like i like i i thought that was fine as just sort of like a side plot but just the fact that like the narn were there directly and that the information from <laughs> the a plot like that whole thing with the data crystals and that guy was there to just sort of uh to indict basically you know jacquard and his whole and and uncover that whole plot was really that part i thought was kind of forced and silly like i just thought like oh come on yeah like that's a little too convenient i thought the i thought the raider plot might build up to something else later yeah. on right but the way it resolved at the end i'm like okay it just seems so contrived <laughs> and that it was such it was felt to me a letdown of so much time spent on the raider story plot if it was only in service of plot a. well the silliest thing about it the silliest thing about it like if it were staged for whatever reason if if it were something mm-hmm. that was part of the larger plot it actually totally backfired because if it weren't for cuz like there was that there was that scene where Sinclair he's talking to he had just talked to the senator and was talking to Ivanova and saying like I have no choice but to vote against the Centauri or whatever, vote for the, 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 um, to, to not interfere. Look, if I'm at that meeting, I'll have to do something I don't want to do. So let it go on without me. You can take my place on the council. Don't worry, it's all on the agenda. Just take the vote and see what everyone wants to do. Any other instructions, Commander? Lots of them. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find you before I left. So you never heard about any orders from Earth Central. The last thing you heard, we were voting for sanctions. Clear? Yes, sir. Clear as crystal. But because there was an attack, he's like, oh, I was never here. <laughs> you know, you, I have not heard that information. And now, Ivanova, you go install, you know, while I go on this mission. It's like, like, again, I'm not sure how, if it was all orchestrated or whatever, but like, if that were the case, it totally backfired because in that moment... It's like if Sinclair went to the the meeting, he would have had to say like, "Oh, the Earth Council says we can't, you know, we have to just sort of follow the Narn, you know," and <laughs> it would have been over. And um, I guess this speaks to sort of a larger thing. Again, I don't, you know, you don't have to answer this, but I'm I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the Narn gets some wins. Because like this is really silly. Like it's like <laughs> two big plots they, they try and they fail utterly. Like I want to see them win, because it's like uh, it's like okay, you know the Centauri do take a L here, or they do something and they they create some. Because like I hope it's not like this plot of the week where the Narn are always spoiled <laughs> at the last second. Yeah, exactly. Some <laughs> evil scheme, and then ah oh, shucks. Oh, you caught me. <laughs> here, yeah, oh, here comes. I'll try next week. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, and then Sinclair comes like, "Oh no!" And you know, no, no, can do, Jakar. This time. Plot. Well, and, yeah, exactly. I, I think I think the funny thing is, so it's interesting that you want them to win because keep in mind, I feel as though the way it's set up, I guess there were some concessions that were had because you know the Narn people still have 
their weapons and stuff like that. So whatever invasion or occupation that the uh, Centauri have done, it seems as though it's kind of, I guess it's been, it's been like a hundred years. The Centauri? What do you mean? Yeah. They've established that, that Centauri has attacked the Narn. Oh yeah. Yeah. Way in the past. Yeah. 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 yeah, Way in the past, which is a hundred years. So it's, I'm wondering at a point, but the Narn still hold a grudge and then they still want to fight back for all the, things that have been going on with the centauri you see that hatred you so see i them... hope like i hope that the other i guess like speaking of that like i hope that it's like i hope by series end and maybe that's just me look maybe it's me looking at it from sort of like today's point of view but i'm hoping that there is a little bit more kind of depth in terms of uh the narn people because i hope it's not more cartoony evil because i think that they do have a legitimate grievance you know it's like hey man this world used to be ours and you guys took it over 100 years ago and turned it into a farming colony and you know it's the same kind of plot line with the bajorans and the cardassians right so but the thing is at the time of occupation it makes sense to have a resistance movement Mm -hmm. right but it feels as though things have now resolved but there still is like this resistance movement and then we still want to instigate or you know, pay back King Centauri and have another war. But no, I mean, that's interesting too, right? I mean, like, we're looking at it now. And you and... want him to win. That's what you're saying is that you do want him to have wins against the Centauri. Even though what you're saying before, where the Centauri were kind of a dying race, kind of defeatist, they're kind of not the greatest well, empire anymore. Okay. So when I say I want to see them have some wins, that was more, that was not really having to do with any sort of moral imperative or whatever but it was more a concept of just like it would be boring storytelling wise if it was like scooby-doo if it was just like they you know jacquard and the narn they do something evil and then they get they get foiled like that i think would get old really quickly so that's why i'm saying like it would be nice if they get some wins sometimes because then it would sort of fuel like future plots where it's like oh okay these guys are really conniving and they're smart and and because after a while, like if they keep failing, you just think, okay, these guys are losers. They can't, you know. And, yeah. and it just, yeah. it just sort of there's a bumbling yeah, like cartoon it, evil. There's character. no dramatic tension because you're just like, oh, this is another just silly plot that they're coming up with, and it's it's coyote and, and Wap- then Sinclair and somehow Runner. finds it. Yeah, yeah and it's just yeah, like that. Yeah, that's yeah. boring. And so, um, and also because like I think that, but then the second layer of it is also true too. Where like I said, I feel like. There, there's, there's so much space for uh, legitimate grievance where it's like, you know, hey man, like there is genocide and there's mm-hmm. hundreds of years of, you know, of occupation and, and destruction and, of their planet. Yeah, destruction right? and, yeah. you know, who knows? Like we don't know what the background of that is as of yet, but like I think there's a lot of legitimacy there and they can turn it into sort of like, you know, I, I personally, especially over the scope, a scope of a series, like I kind of like being able to kind of float back and forth where you just like you find yourself siding with, you know, someone that you thought was a villain. And then like my favorite thing in my favorite sort of uh, sort of device in storytelling is when the, al- the, the enemy turns into like an ally, you know, like mm-hmm. Piccolo. I love that Pic- yeah. <laughs> you know I love characters like Piccolo from Dragon Ball where it's like yeah, okay they're yeah. enemies in the beginning and then they turn into like allies. Yeah, I love it like with uh, Sanosuke in uh, Rurouni Kenshin where he's just mm-hmm, like he's mm-hmm. the he's the, the the enemy in the beginning he's kind and then, of the like, villain yeah and then he turns the into like, yeah. like yeah. the one of yeah. their trusted allies. Like I love that that um, <clears throat> that concept and um, 
but unfortunately that has to be established through a series uh, a time of stories right oh yeah, yeah. Of absolutely episodes. i'm not so, saying like that should be like that now but what i'm saying yeah, is like yeah, i hope yeah. that that's what sort of happens there's more in-depth stuff that yeah. that sort of yeah that complexity of like you know again i don't like cer- certain things yes are evil but it's pretty rare that it's just like evil is done for the sake of evil like i think um, it would be interesting to kind of see, cause like, um, speaking, speaking of which, like I was, I was really hoping like early on when, when you first discover, um, that, uh, that Londo has a nephew on the, uh, uh, on the, on Ragish three, I was really hoping that he was lying and that he, that, that whole, that whole explanation and that whole thing was just a ploy to get the earth involved in the conflict. Like I was hoping that it was like a really deep manipulation game and it wasn't just like, you know, Londo and I, I hope it, I was hoping that it wasn't just uh Jacquard that was playing manipulator that like, it was also Londo like trying to jockey against him and go like actually, you know, and playing the sympathy mm-hmm. card and playing the, uh, my relative card. It's like, actually he's like a distant, I was like, Oh, he's a distant relative. I can play that. I, as a I thing. don't like, see oh, how I that works. I, I don't see how that plays with his character, though. Londo is a, a guy, a character who I think has been established from these two episodes that he's got a good heart. He's someone who glorifies glor- and is like nostalgic. He glorifies the past um, victories and you know status that Centauri had at its prime. Sure. And he's still living that or wants that. Make America great again. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Like back in the day, he thought that this was the idealized version of the Centauri Republic. And so I don't see him trying to gain allies by playing the victim like that. Sure. I think he there the way it's been established, it just feels as though Centauri are like the Roman Empire. They're they're their their success and they're gonna win by just conquering, you know, not by gaining right. no i can see that too i can victim. see that too. Like, like, the, i can see the narns do that right because they were victims so they're going to play right. that card but i don't think centauri or londa would so that's why when you were saying about the plot i don't so far he hasn't seemed to be that strategic or that um not deceptive sure. but and that's that's fine yet, like but again you know, like from my point yeah. of view and i think that's part of it too is that like um, I'm. I don't have a lot to go on, honestly. Like I would yeah, have been surprised. That's why. That's why it's hard to really. It's hard to scrutinize just based on one episode, right. like the whole plot or whatever these characters. Because that's why I think you should just take it. You, we should credit. I think we could talk about how the episode plays out or certain points in the plots. But in terms of these general characterizations and development, that's just a long term type of thing that's going to develop. So any questions that you had about you know, well, this character should be doing this or something like that. You kind of just have to wait <laughs> out and see what happens. The other happens. part of it for me is just like, he looks and talks like Dracula. So I'm just like, there's a part of it that's like, <laughs> he's got to, there's got to be like, an, there's got, and maybe that's a subversion of expectations or whatever, but there's a part of me that's just like, there's got to be a sneaky side to him, you know? Like he seems like a schemer, <laughs> you know, but but no. But doesn't help that he has that weird cape. Right. So I think that's the problem. Like I think that's that that for me is like I said, it subverts my expectations because my thought is like because he's pale with black hair, like 
he, he, he and with with with, with the dracula the accent the and the fangs and you're just like this guy is, is as a sneaky he's you know and he's a he's playing a ambassador you always think of those characters as being really weaselly and then so i was thinking like i i'm sort of bringing that baggage in and maybe you know i'm not really seeing it's hard it's harder for me to see him as like this uh sort of fallen from grace former mm. like aristocrat yeah. who's just like you know who's too proud to do stuff like that or I, again i don't know if that's the characterization although, or not but although he in this episode he did do that thing with the gun yes how interesting was it that he had little pieces in his you know it's the star um, trek 6 thing right it's just like you know he's got the yeah he has a weapon to kill someone and he it's all in different pieces so he doesn't get caught right that does show some deception. Exactly. That shows some, exactly. some scheming. So there is a level of that, but not to the sense of victimizing him, playing that kind of thing. I guess you can see him doing like weird assassinations, maybe, because that's what it clearly showed. Yeah. That, you know, he is deceiving the rest of the council or the people because he's he smuggled in, you know, like a weapon that he can right, use right. to kill Jakar. And so there is some underlying um deception there but i wonder if it was just the whole you know i the last straw we ha i have to do blood for blood even though his his cousin is still alive right. so i never quite his sure nephew, right? is it just because he got attacked oh yeah his cousin his nephew was still alive so there that blood for blood argument i'm like is it just for all the innocent people who died the centauri but then you do realize what you've done to the Narns all the time. So No, yeah. And that's the tricky thing. I think that sort of speaks to that larger point is that like, how does it end, right? If it's always eye for an eye, then, you know, the eye for an eye and the world goes blind kind of thing. It's just like, okay, well, like, hey, there's a reason yep. for me to hit you. Okay, you can hit me. And then it just kind of goes on forever. You know, how do you stop that cycle? And I don't know, who knows if that's that. I, I imagine this being the UN in space or whatever, like that, that, that is going to be a common issue in terms of, how do you mm -hmm. resolve like his like such a, a long, long time of violence? Yeah. yeah. Like, um yeah. So yeah. I think that's I think that's cool. Um But I find that the plot A and then plot B seems superfluous, fed into the plot A. But I'm the, we didn't talk about the plot C point, which is the cycle. Oh, I thought you were gonna talk about the Reference. election. <laughs> No, the election is just once again, I think, I think, okay, there's two points too I wanted to make where, you know, when Sinclair pretty much ignored the senator's suggestion about, you know, or recommendation to vote for the Narns right. or whatever, it kind of showed their independence. And I think you see that a lot. I think even in the first episode, the pilot episode and this one, Sinclair is going to just do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> kind of you know it's gonna do within the boundaries of the law kind of thing right that's the whole you didn't hear that for you know pretend you know this way you can you know cover your ass and um these situations but he's gonna do what he feels is gonna is right um and it shows some sort of independence now keep in mind the president election stuff once again now that is more of a setup because that's gonna be because the earth alliance does support the babylon five station so that's why, you know, Ivanova's comment about, you know, someone with a strong chin, a good leader, keep in mind, I think support of the station is comes from Earth Alliance. And so there's maybe hints of political um, 
storylines that might be coming up later. And that's how I saw them. Like, why are you guys talking about an election? It has to have right. some point. And because none of that gets resolved, really, I'm like, okay, I guess it's something that you just have to pay attention to later on. That, to me, was more obvious of um, of an opened setting up plot line, which I was kind of hoping that the Raiders, um, the Raiders attack was going to do, but they didn't. So because that got unresolved, I'm like, okay, obviously they're just setting it yeah. up for later. I, I assume the same thing where it's just like, okay, they, they, they seeded because they br- bring it up like three, four times this concept of the election. And I'm just, and I was just like, okay, I guess this will probably, that, yeah, it's going to play, play out, out later, later. <laughs> in terms of who, like you said, like who's in favor of what kind of activity of, at the station and the involvement and who knows the agenda yeah. of the station could change based on the leadership and that kind of thing. So I think that's, that, yeah. that was interesting yeah. as a concept. I just like, it was just, you know, I feel like we'll see, like, you know, I, I thought it was too, I, I think they could have done it less and it would have been as effective, you know, because I was just like, this yeah. isn't really going anywhere. Why? You know, whatever. But it, it, it kind of is like the, it ends this episode how it began in the beginning it was talking about the election and stuff like that and then yeah. it ends with the Which, end of yeah. the results so it kind of is the ending and sure. closing of the episode as a whole um yeah but mm-hmm. i wanted to go back to the side course thing um my mother was like you a telepath none of us ever knew it was her secret since she was a girl and she wasn't trained she was never able to use it well well that's why we have the psychor to help telepaths bring out their talents to the fullest. Yes, I imagine that's what they told you. Were you raised by the Corps? Mm-hmm. And you never had to make the choice. When they discover what you are, they give you three choices. You can either join the Psy-Corps or go to prison, or agree to take certain drugs for the rest of your life. Drugs that inhibit your telepathic abilities. That's the law. Unregistered telepaths have to be controlled in order to protect the privacy of others. Have you ever seen the results? They caught up with my mother on her 35th birthday. She didn't want to join the Corps, didn't want to go to prison, so they gave her the treatment. For 10 years, a man in a gray suit came to the door once a week, and he gave her the injections. They were strong, terribly strong. Every day, we just watched her drift further and further away from us. The light in her eyes just went out bit by bit. And when we thought she could go no further, she took her own life. What did you think about that? Because you had concerns in the beginning, in the in the pilot episode of like, well, the psycho, if you have telepaths, they're answering so, everything. Okay, so for me... Um, so now with, with Ivanova's explanation of her experience with Psychor and her family's experience. So I like this little wrinkle. I like that they talk about this concept of Basically, you know, you're either with us or you're or you're too much of a, you know, a threat. <laughs> so we have to eliminate you, kind of thing. Um, and I, I I like this idea of, you know, this institution, uh, and they they either cultivate you know people that have this ability, um, or or they you know, or they drug it out of you basically. And I also like the concept that. Um, that these drugs that they use are, are kind of like the, this 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 concept that they're not really refined, and it's actually these people by 
by not, you know, by, by choosing not to be, you know, to try to live without it are, are, you know, this, this, uh, this tragedy of this girl who loses her mom because, um, you know, all the, the spark of life kind of gets removed from her because these drugs just sort of whatever, just drain it out of drain, whatever personality out of these people. And I think that's a really cool angle, you know, like story-wise to take. Um, and to be honest, like, again, I'm not, I'm not sure if this is, I, I like that there, there is, there is gray area here too, because it's like, Hey man, like renegade psychics, pretty dangerous. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I, it, it was a great moral kind yeah. of question, a philosophical moral question. It's like, you know, you don't want tele rampaging right. rogue telepaths everywhere. So how do you control that? Because sure. it is a very powerful ability. And, you know, in some ways you can also say, you know, people just like the X-Men or whatever, if they don't know how to control their power, they can do a lot more damage and they can go, they can go insane or whatever. So if they decide not to go in service of Psychor, well, your only option is that we need to then somehow control your ability by, you know, drugging you up so you can't use it because it is a danger. It could be a potential danger in regular society. But it's yeah, but the hearing what the effects are of that decision. I'm right. like, well, what else can you do? I think it was a terrible thing to do to people because you're you're just eliminating their life. But that also speaks to like, life. okay, well, what's what's the downs? So I mean, uh, what I like is this this sort of this potential at least of like of real complex sort of uh, problems where it's like, okay, well, what is the Yes, to an extent, like, I guess Talia may have been brainwashed because she grew up in the Psychor itself, or maybe it's legit actually really good. So, like, what was the reason why the mom didn't want to join the Psychor, didn't want to follow it? Well, I think, yeah, I think it is just like any any institution, right? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and there's that too. Or maybe there's some, you know, maybe there's some shadiness there too. Like, who knows? Like, if, if it's a poorly run or who it depends on right. who is in charge and that kind of thing. Like, like I like, like I said, there's a lot of complexity there in terms of where, where that story is. So I think that was really cool. Like why yeah. someone would choose exactly. a life because like that exactly. to be drugged up so because much that they would not do service. Exactly. Like, you know, there's definitely there. some padding between the first drug injection or, or was it injection or whatever, the first dose of the drug. And when, the last one you know it's like so when when they saw the effects first taking hold they could have entertained some other options like okay well maybe you know but but it was but what's that story right like basically uh the it seemed like at least for the mom it's like okay well look i'm just gonna do this forever or did the psychor force it it's like hey you made your decision we're gonna force you to take these this this these yeah well, you have to. That's the thing. They don't have a choice. If you do not serve under Psychor, you right. are going to have to do this. And which makes me, and like I said, I'm, I mean, I'm so. It was very interesting to discuss this right. in the first right. episode of the season, because it's not something that comes up later. It's like we're establishing right now the gray and ambiguity of sure. now this organization called Psychor, and, and how people sort of handle like telepaths. And, and this, you know, that cool. I found really like this is what I like about the stark contrast of this show and, and Star Trek, because 
it's cool in that in this world, they haven't figured it out, right? Like they're because it's like, okay, Psychor is yeah. not this this pure monolithic but but legit it's not Starfleet yeah. Academy. It doesn't have that same sort of air of Starfleet Academy where it's like, oh, the Academy is pure and awesome and everyone joins it. It's like the height, like the the best way of servicing humanity and it's something that people aspire to. It's like, no, like my mom totally didn't want to do this and you guys like destroyed her brain. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know, and it's like, it's, yeah, it's this dark thing. And yeah, it's like, you guys haven't figured it out. Like, we're serve. living in this world. This world is established where humanity hasn't figured things out. And Sinclair, that's something I want to mention before, is like, he's always breaking. Right. He's like a crook. He's a crook. Sinclair is like, he's he's a bully. He threatens the ambassador. <laughs> he lies to, like, he just like, and ends justify <laughs> the means kind of thing. It's like, that's not something that, you know, that's, again, like, maybe that's just more speaking to a different type of, of way of getting things done. And then you look at, you know, again, contrast that with the the evolution of humanity in Star Trek, where it's like, you know, diplomacy and and everything is, again, the more well, idealized version of Star Trek, where it's like, we've figured well, out all these things, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole point was that was the idealized version of humanity has gone right. beyond, like, these petty, you know, conflicts. But in this one... Exactly. No, these these conflicts are still there. It's Everyone's very, flawed. It's a very down to earth type of thing right. where you can see it not that far. Yeah, and that's one of the things I liked about Babylon Five is that yes, it's sci fi. Yes, it's in the future, but it doesn't yeah. seem that far off in the future in some ways because the conflicts are still there. Now, to Sinclair's justification from him bullying back other bullies, that's the thing. I think they always set it up where he's not instigating it; he's only reacting to other people's behaviors and um actions so i think that's what makes suppose you know this way this way you kind of it's justified that what sinclair is doing is right thing to do because we know that you know other people other, other ambassadors are also bullying well that's the thing you had mentioned like uh before that you did not you you do not like sinclair as the commander like um yeah yes what? I yes and I don't I mean... <laughs> for fear of spoilers I guess but like can you is there any is there a safe way at this point that you can kind of ex- expound on I think it's not necessarily the character I think it's more the actor okay, <laughs> okay that's, the, that's a difference that's just that's the difference it's not the character I have a problem with it's just the actor portraying the oh, character okay. I think he's a bit how do I put it but you were saying he like to he's me, too he comes across as kind whatever. of yeah, he's too cold or something. He's not as... He seems a bit... Maybe he's just not as emotive, perhaps. Okay. You know, you see him being strict. He's the stern kind of commander. He's the kind of the... You know, that kind of thing. That's how I see it, even in these first two episodes. So right? that was the thing for, he... for me, and maybe this is just me. Uh, I don't... Maybe I just don't quite get the character yet. But mm-hmm. I feel like one of the things that bothered me, it bothered me that um, I haven't figured out his character. Because basically in the first episode, or in the pilot episode, it seemed like he was like the cool guy that gave all these people chances. And he was like this honorable mm-hmm. guy, tried to do things by the book or whatever. And then um, he's the guy who's just like, he's like a war hero and, he, and he's trusted to be able to to kind of be the the he's whatever he he can talk a talk people down and he can whatever he's he's able to kind of 
use his uh, use his experience to to be like a, a good diplomat, which makes him a fitting commander for this UN in space. And then like in this episode, like I just feel like he's he's a bully. He's threat. He's making threats. He's lying. He's doing all this stuff. I'm just like he's and that's why part of it. I a part of me doesn't. F- like I feel like Delin is a better diplomat, or he just he he doesn't come across as a diplomat to me as much as he is just a commander. Yeah, you like know? there's no subtlety. He's, he's at the station. He's trained. I, fe- I yeah. feel like a smarter commander would be able to be like to make a biting comment or to make things happen, but not break any rules. But he's just like he openly threatens Shakar. He's just like I'm gonna kill you. You know, one of these yeah. days or something like that. And, it's just and, like and, what? <laughs> like you can't. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Keep in mind, I'm used to like Patrick Stewart's like Jean-Luc Picard as the diplomat, you know? And I'm so comfortable with that idea of, yes, that's my ideal diplomat. He's a commander, you know, he's a captain of a starship, but at the same time, he his diplo- I feel diplomacy like... skills are really high. I just don't get that from Sinclair. I get more of just a military commander from him than an actual diplomat. I feel like performance-wise or whatever-wise, yeah. like I feel like they should have flipped Sinclair and Garibaldi because Garibaldi... I feel like he's the mm-hmm. character that would make sense based on at least a little bit of information that we have about him that would be more prone to, you know, kind of bursts of anger, bur- like threats and, you know, kind of shady, you know, strong arm kind of, you know, th- tactics or whatever. But as a security chief, I feel like he's much more measured. He's much more in control. Like, I feel like he displays a lot of the characteristics that I feel like the commander should, should you know, should be displaying, you know, in his deft way, like again, you contrast that in this episode with how Garibaldi deals with Londo, and he's just like, "Look, man, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you want to kill this guy? Well, I've been there, you know." And he talks him down, and he's just like, "And and he, that to me was much more sort of leader like, like than." Well, that's different because he's trying to de-escalate an issue, a problem. A part of me feels that when Sinclair's interaction with Jakar, especially in that meeting about you know about the war and how the Narn sold, blah blah blah, in some ways, to me, it came across as though he's trying to show his power too. That we're not going to be bullied by you, by the Narns, because their Narns were constantly doing that. I think, but that Sinclair was trying to be like. Hey, I'm standing up to you. And it was a show of for or show of authority. I don't so that wasn't necessarily de-escalating an immediate issue right then and there, which Garibaldi should be doing. Hence the fact he's more um what you call uh easily negotiating a situation, you know, the the tense intensity of a situation. In some some ways, I felt like Sinclair, when he was talking to Gar um Dakar was more showing up a force like you can't bully us you know we know exactly what happened we know this and we can fight back type of thing basically like for me um i was looking for uh that exact scene where where uh where sinclair threatens jacquard because i think it's important to kind of know exactly what he said because i remember when i saw it i i I should have written it down i didn't write it down unfortunately but i remember when i when i first watched it, i was just like wow that is super harsh. Like whatever he says. Um, do you do you by chance remember what he? No, he said? I just remember they were talking about the exchange to how Narn supported um, the Earth Alliance during our, the Limbari War. Is that the scene when he's out in the 
arboretum kind of area again. Remember that garden scene? You're right, and like, but yeah, like, I, it was just like an open like threat, and I just thought like, as a commander, I feel like it's super important to kind of be, you know, again, like if you're the the UN, then you need to the like if you're if you're trying to be diplomatic, like I feel like you you have to sort of you you shouldn't necessarily openly again openly sort of antagonize the other you know the other race um basically like and this is just from my own experience just like you know negotiating with uh, like other business people and stuff like that like if you you know you're not going to say to their say to their face you know it's like hey you guys are you guys are terrible people like you are you know um like basically but then again he has he's hadn't gotten away with it he that's how he interacted with them in the pilot episode and so maybe it's just enabled him to do it again in this episode with the narts but yeah but i mean like okay so he's like i I think we can play the scene here but just like this idea that like look you guys are cowards he's just like he's saying it outright like you guys are cowards you don't have the guts to have a yes fair to to you know to do uh, to be in a fair fight what's wrong ambassador don't have the guts for a fair fight in another place, I would have you skinned alive for saying that. You want me. You know where to find me. Oh, yeah. And it's like, hey, if you want to fight me, <laughs> you know where to find yeah, me. Like, I, which is I will very non-diplomatic, like... but very more like standing up to a bully or standing up to um, someone who you know is doing something shady, maybe. So right. that's why it confuses me because sometimes he's supposed to be the diplomat, but sometimes he's not, and that's why to me, I don't. It was confusing. Um, Again, for me, what his role was on the station in terms of the interactions with the right. So for me, like the reason why that kind of rang very false to me is that like I find just from my personal experience is that like. Um, Oftentimes, if you're in an anti- if you're in an antagonistic or an agonistic sort of situation with another party, and uh, especially if they're aggressive, like if they're particularly aggressive, and you push and you are aggressive back, oftentimes what will happen is that basically gives them an excuse, and they say like, "Well, now I'm justified in being an asshole because uh, because you guys are threatening." You, you threaten me. And so there's a kind of like quasi delusion aspect or rationalization where you're just like, oh, okay, well, since these people threaten me, that justifies all of my negative behavior, even though I've said it first. So it's like, it's like in, I feel like in a lot of regards, um, it's especially in a diplomatic sense or, or like a negotiation sense, it's like, well, it's self-defeating because. I think it's different. Had he been talking to Londo for sure, but the fact that he was talking to a third party, do you know what I'm saying? Earth is technically outside of that conflict between him and, you know, Narn and Centauri. Sure. So I think he was just talking to a third party and saying, you know, you know, look how bad the Centauri are. And he's just like, what are you talking about? You guys are just as bad. You know, that type of attitude. So I think he was pushing back saying, you know, you're, you're not going to get the support if you keep doing this. That's how it came across to me. Instead of like, if he was actually talking to Londo and Londo was fighting back, yeah, then that you know triggers or antagonizes even more the situation because that's they're in direct conflict with each other but him talking to Sinclair was more of like a third party 
And Sinclair's like, well, sure, but they also have know, a history of antagonism, like the two of them. Like he about. seems like Sinclair has it out for Jakar as well. It's like I hate you, dude. Like you, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I feel like they also have. It's not nearly as bad as Londo and Jakar, but it seems like there's clearly like an antagonistic relationship between the two of them. Well, yeah, because it's like I catch you doing all these bad things all the time. Stop doing it, kind of. Sure, thing, sure, right? sure, sure. But like for me, know, like the investigator. But, yeah, and but the that kind of goes that's... back to. <laughs> how the rest of the story is framed because you know again if jakar is just you know evil then okay that's fine but if if there is a situation where there is some sympathy for jakar's position or if there's grayness there then that totally like that totally like destroys like his uh sinclair's approach because it's like you know, like, yes, if evil people exist in this world, then yeah, then you need to punch him in the mouth. He, he's a clear bully. But if this person, if there's any chance that this guy feels justified and there is like sort of like a kernel of truth and there there are sort of gray areas there, then by being openly antagonistic can really be, can be really worse. Right, I feel like right, can sort of right. be defeated, And then keep in mind, we're, we're, we're analyzing so. these episodes and these characters within the containment of that single episode of what we've seen before. Sure, 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 sure. So it's an interesting thing because like you're saying, the way it's set up, and if you just sit there and analyze it, yeah, some of this stuff does not make sense. Like, why <laughs> yeah. would you do this? Why, what is going on here? And um, But it is only a fraction of the whole story, so yeah, it'll be yeah. interesting to see how it continues and how it develops. Um... But I think we should wrap up the this episode here because okay. I think there's nothing else to talk about in terms of the episode itself, unless you had something. Um, I think the only but I think the only other about. thing, a couple sort of small hits uh, that I want to kind of talk about is um, also sort of towards the mm-hmm. end, I guess, is is uh, going back to the psychor. Um, you've got um, it, it. I like that they did sort of reveal a little bit more in that. The psychics are trained to block casual thoughts, um, and uh, you know that 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 whole concept of just like this is an ability that they have to train themselves to kind of turn on and off, you know. And it's like I'm not going to read people's thoughts in general. And then like she just happens to like run into Londo, and, and there's that hilarious scene of him shooting Jakar, which I thought was it's just like such a such a, such a hammy scene, which I thought was funny, but. <laughs> You know, because it was so powerful, and they were in such close proximity, or whatever. Maybe. It just... And he held her hand. Yeah, um, there was physical contact. She had the gloves on. I guess. Well, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, true. But, but you know, any any form of physical contact will even draw it closer. But you had to. But they're establishing those rules, that, right? Like you know, even that, like the rule yeah. of oh, there's yeah. a more powerful psychic connection with touch, and then like even further, like in the first in the pilot episode where it's like you take the gloves off, and there's even more powerful connection. Um, uh-huh. I think that's yep. you know whatever um, yep. like you establish those rules, which I think is fine. Um, so I think that was I thought I like that they're kind of I, I hope there's consistency, you know. But like one thing that I thought was problematic was mm-hmm. that like at that point he hadn't killed Jakar, you know, like he just had he was just really angry. No, but he wanted you know? to. He probably played it in his mind. This is what he's going. So to do. like yeah, but like in my mind, I'm just like. You know, there are plenty of angry people out there that have probably thought of stuff, scenarios that were terrible or whatever. And, like, did she see that he was clearly planning to kill Jakar? Or did she see, like, that, you know, I don't know. Did Like, it's it's that was the one thing that I was kind of curious about. I was like, okay, like, what exactly did she see? 
Like, did she see that movie play out of him? Just like shooting, shooting Jakar. That's what I'm assuming. That's what I'm assuming. What whatever the show presented to the audience is what, what she Talia saw. saw. And to me, it's just like Rhonda. you know. Yeah. And I guess it was powerful. And maybe you know, she's playing it so that like it was just like the mix of the emotions and the memory and the vision or whatever. It's just like so that was enough evidence for her to take it to Garibaldi and act immediately. But like for me, I'm just like there are people. There are angry people in the world. Like I just feel like you know. There are times when, you know, like if you're driving in traffic, I'm sure that you, you maybe think like, oh, I want to kill that guy. Oh, this is how I would do it. I would run my car into them. You know, just like, does that mean you're actually going to do it? You know, who knows? Well, no, but, like, but that's the thing. Uh, She's just, she just brought it up to Garibaldi and saying, you know, these are the ambassadors and that's a, it's going to be a bigger consequence than some random person. Like, sure. You know what I'm saying? But it's so, just like, like, did she also know that he had a gun? You know? Oh, like, I don't know about that. I don't think because so. Because I think... Because, no, like, she acts – because Garibaldi acts immediately because basically, like, Londo's on his way to Jakar. And somehow she was able to communicate with Garibaldi and Garibaldi was able to intercept him before he was able to get to where he needed to go. So, like, there was, like, a super, super urgency there. Like, so, like, she had to know that there was an imminent threat. So, who knows? Right. She saw an image of Londo wanting to kill Jakar right then and there. And so that's why he was yeah. going to do that. So I mean, it, it's it, there's some yeah, yeah, absolutely, there. absolutely. But I just thought that was. <laughs> well, I'm I mean, still trying to figure it. out how how the psychics work, how all that stuff works. But but yeah, I mean, I think it's cool. Like I think. Um, I think it's probably. I think you should call them telepaths. Not oh psychics. yeah, okay, telepaths. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fortune teller, the gypsies. Know, so That's how those gypsies work. Yeah, um, like no, but, no, just call yeah. them telepaths. Oh. <laughs> But I mean, it's just like any other telepath. They can read your mind, right? They can, they can sense intense feelings and even probably capture images from your head. Um, but then there are certain levels of rules being assigned as being part of Psycor. And I think it makes sense because if you're marketing a service and you're getting paid for it, you need to understand what what they can yeah. or can't do, right? Or what they're not supposed to do. Like I wouldn't hire a Psycor liaison if they can read my or sure. they're they're going to read my mind all the time you know so there is a certain level level of um, rules and guidelines and regulations that i'm sure are implemented as any other corporate type of institution um but mm. you're also dealing with telepaths so who knows how shady they can be right but um and that's why i think it's fun, so funny that they established that in the beginning yeah the i like that story that they aren't perfect, they're not idealized, that there are consequences, there are consequences to each of these decisions that are being made. Well, the other, um, oh, so speaking of Ivanova, I guess, speaking of that apparently. whole thing, I'm also <laughs> um, sensing some sexual tension between her and Talia, which I think is kind of funny. It's like, yeah, like, I, I'm not sure if it's just whatever, but like, really, that last scene, especially like in the bar where they're, where she's actually talking, like, and I don't know if, um, again, I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but I just like, I just felt like there is just a little bit, there is, there is a little bit of something there. I don't know in like Talia's performance or Talia's whatever thing. I'm just like, oh, there's, there, there seems to be something, uh, something, something, <laughs> I don't know, something brewing there. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to, if that, whatever, but I just thought it was, it was, it was kind of 
this this odd random thought that I had at the end. I'm just like, is there is there some sexual tension here between the two? At some point, is it is it Ben or is it you? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just like I'm hoping. Oh, all right. You know. Um, who knows what kind of weird psychic images are coming up there? You know. All right. Um, at any rate, but like um, so I guess like to sort of wrap up, like uh. We have our scale from Babylon 1 to Babylon oh, yeah. 10. I mean, it's like I said, it's so difficult. Um, honestly, this to me was just an average episode, right? Which, once again, it wasn't the worst episode, but I think it's just something that you just, I, you know. Yeah, I had problems with it in terms of the plot storyline and how convenient everything ended, but I'll just say this was just an average show. In fact, I would probably re-rank the gathering just to be, uh, what did I put it? I think I you said remember. the the pilot was like Three, a, okay, yeah. so I think we should rework the ranking system. I think Babylon Five should actually be the top, yeah, okay. like Babylon Ten. Babylon Ten doesn't okay. make any sense. All right, all right. So let's let's um yeah 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 okay Babylon Five is the top. So one one is the worst, the and worst? we can do like decimals or whatever too if you want. But like, oh, but let's just say that Babylon Five is the top. Babylon One is the worst. Okay. So so far to me, this was average, so this would be a three. Babylon. Babylon three. three. Okay, and you would also say the pilot was Babylon three because you had said before that yeah, it was uh, Babylon seven out of ten. Four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seven out of ten, which makes it like a four out of five, right? Or yeah. three point five out of five. Yeah, I would say okay. three point five simply because I liked the mystery and the way it's like, oh my gosh, it wasn't Mimbari at the end. Mm. You know, I like that twist there. So I I would say that to be like three point five four. Mm. I would say three point five. So I would say. And then this one is just okay. Three. So in that in that case, and I think that's interesting because I would say both of these episodes were Babylon threes for me. So previously I said the the other one was Babylon five out of ten. Yeah. And this time I will say this is so that will sort of get yeah, retroactively right. changed to Babylon three out of five. And this one I think also I would say it was a three out of five. It's like it just seemed yeah. set the stage. Three out of five. You know, right? Yeah. The re, it's just the average. Re, it's fine. Not exactly a reboot, but just sort <laughs> yeah. of like the the actual start of the series. Um, there were some questionable things, but overall, like I enjoyed it. Like I said, I thought it was paced well, and I, I still like the world. I still like the characters. It still, it still feels pretty good. So, um, but you know, not super spectacular. But like, I'm looking forward to seeing where where things go. Yeah, this is literally the first of how many episodes? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So like hundreds, I yeah, guess. Yeah, 132 or something, 100, something like that. Yeah. So yeah, there's plenty of story to go. But I, like I said, <laughs> as long as it keeps you interested, as long as you're just engaged, and some of these characters are interesting enough or the plot lines are interesting enough to keep you engaged and to keep you intrigued enough to continue watching was is the whole point. So I think they needed to have start off with the conflict like what's going on who's behind this what's you know all that stuff establishing stuff characters because keep in mind i have to to say some of the episodes in star trek were a lot worse in season one (laughs) yeah there there are some stinkers but you know that's that's for another time (laughs) all right well cool man i i think that's another pomple cast (laughs) pomple cast in the books um and uh i guess Our next episode coming up uh, will be... Oh, so that's it for Midnight on the Firing Line. I guess the next episode is... Oh, Soul Hunter! That's <laughs> That sounds interesting. Hunter. I wonder what that's about. Yeah. I don't know what that is, but... Um, but cool. Cool, cool, cool. So I look forward to that, and I guess... See you next time. Uh, I guess I will talk to you later, huh? Yep.